Okay, we've got a great show today. First off, thank you for everyone for listening. I, Will Sanchez, here with Dr. Grant Garcia. Uh, Dr. Garcia, first, before we get started, uh, welcome. It's good to talk to you again. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, finally, some change in the weather in Seattle. Not super nice right now, but it's not raining, so I can't complain about that. And uh, yeah, summer's coming, so I'm excited. Anytime that we can see the sun, it really kind of gets you motivated. And I think it's a perfect segue into the show that we're going to discuss today because when the sun's out, the weather's out, we tend to kind of get outside a little bit more, a little bit more active. And for us, you know, or just, I guess, the everyday person just to be out there and take advantage of it and, and try to get some movement, it's great. But we're talking about today what it takes, what it takes for athletes. You know, what it takes for individuals and what makes them really special. And when you think of an athlete, right, you could think about what are some of the things that go into athletes, right? You have to be athletic, right? You know, concentration, you're you're making tough decisions. You have eye-hand coordination, stamina, you know, and, you know, genes and things like that. So, you know, that's where we're going to kind of start. So what do you think or what are some of the qualities that matter to you or what you've seen because you've had experience dealing with uh, professional athletes, elite athletes? What are some of the things or qualities that stand out for you when you think about these athletes? I think uh, you're going to look at different different levels. I think the first thing is, uh, you know, athletic intelligence. It's a kind of a weird word, but these these athletes take it to that next level. You know, they they think about things differently. You know, they're hyper-focused on their bodies. You know, they talk about, you know, Justin Verlander who knows exactly what angle his arms at when he throws and if he throws at 10 degrees less or five degrees more, you know, these sort of hyper-focused like LeBron James athletes, that's really what it takes to get to that next level. Those people that are, you know, hyper-focused on their bodies, hyper-focused on what it takes uh, to prevent injury. And if you have injury, how to prevent or how to continue to get back to that. I think it's the first step. Um, the next step is, you know, just having the, the skills, you know, there's lots of people that are emotionally intelligent, good, intelligent people, athletic people, but you just have to be above and beyond the average person to get to that level as well. And then I, I think the one that's really big and you see this all the time in NFL, you see, you know, this guy came here, he was drafted, phenomenal athlete, going to be top of his class, you know, going to be likely uh, all pro, but just didn't work. Right. And they didn't want to put the work in, even though naturally gifted made it through the whole process and we'll get to like you know what it takes to get to that level and then to unfortunately squander it with uh work ethic and so you got to have all that you know and once you get to that level you know at, when you're in a professional level they're all the same everybody's a pro so it's not like you're competing against people like you were in college or even as high school when you were able to dominate them and so i think those three things are really important and the fourth one pertaining to more of what i do in orthopedics is the ability to bounce back, the emotional ability to bounce back. Because most of the time when we're dealing with athletes, I mean, I would tell you the number of times that I have to be a counselor in the office at six months, seven months, like, hey, listen, let's get you back, especially, you know, baseball players, those football players that are like, I got injured for the very first time in my life. I was just yeah. about to be drafted or just about to go to college. You know, these things are a big deal. And so those, you, if you can't overstep those things, sometimes you never get back. And that's a big deal. You know, that's a that's a great point. Right. And and that's something I think that we've talked about uh, recently. Right. These have been the recent uh, conversations with these athletes trying to bring to light, um, you know, the mental aspect of it and also the almost like the, the wear and tear 
of the mental aspect where some of these, you know, players have been a little bit burnt out and, you know, they're, they've been more vocal about, you know, I'm, you know, in therapy and I'm talking about this and Ben Simmons has recently said something like that. Kevin Love yep. was very vocal a few years ago where he was just like, I'm, I'm having a breakdown and I had to go get help. So having that mental aspect of it, you know, mentally strong, but also being mentally strong when you're mentally weak to go get the help that you need. You've worked, you know, whether it's with the Bulls and the White Sox and, you you know, you've worked in New York and you've had some affiliation with the U.S. tennis team and the Giants and Mets and so on and so forth. You know, what are some of the th- those things that really stand out for you when it comes to that mental endurance and and having those difficult conversations with these players saying that whether it's going to be all right or you know maybe you've had some experience where you had to break some news or you know somebody that's given some bad news to uh, some of these athletes i think that's probably the hardest part of the job you know i think everyone who says you know the operation you know you're nervous about the operation on doing a pro athlete you're you're nervous about you know the recovery and the, of the pro athlete that part to me is is not the part that gets the real um, athletic surgeons or the surgeons that deal with these athletes. I think it's the mental aspect, you know, having to, having to see someone who has a patella tendon rupture as a pro athlete and tell them you got a 50% chance of making it back. You know, that doesn't go very well between the player, the agent and the coach. Mm. Right. Forget and about so, the agent. Right. We tend to forget about the agent. also. No, yeah, nobody, the, the agent, the agents are great there, but they'll torture you. Yeah. You know, that's the, the agent is the icing on the cake that you, until you go to the pro level, you're not going to, you're not going to experience that. But, you know, I've had a couple of pro football players I've talked to, you know, the visit itself is an hour long, which is not my average visit. Yeah. And then all of a sudden at night, you're getting a call at seven o'clock at night. You gotta be like, Hey, you got 45 minutes on the phone with the next agent to talk to about the injury and what they can do and what the re- expected recovery is. And to be really honest with you, there's not a lot of data on good pro athletes. Cause it's just not that there, we don't have enough of them that we've done these really interesting or unusual surgeries on that we can really give them fully direct information i can say return to sport for college high school and professional is this but in some cases there's certain things we don't know you know there's freaks that have gotten back in really early amount of time and there's some people that have taken a long time or some people they get re-injured and so to give them expectations you try to give them what the baseline data you have and your experiences but in some cases you know they're going to either exceed your expectations or underwhelm your expectations um, and you got to be realistic with yourself and even throughout the process you know pro athletes are just like any other any other athlete you know they can get injured they can re-injure their surgery and that can be really frustrating for both the surgeon and everybody involved and uh but even the ones that are making good progress like we talk about mentally i mean you've got to do a lot of counseling you're constantly telling them you know and it's always hard to say like you're actually okay but really there's a mental aspect we've got to work on like that never doesn't always go well with some athletes yeah, it's fascinating. And I really, um, you know, just listening to you and taking from that conversation, just that there's different levels of it and there's different conversations to be had. And especially when you're dealing with elite athletes, because as we know, you know, at that top level, there's only but so many. So the percentage is lower. That means that the data is lower. So that's uh, that was really interesting to, to hear you say that and think about. Um, let, let's put a little fun spin on it. What are some of the best stories of a pro athlete that you've heard of or you know firsthand, like a Kurt Warner, you know, stocking shelves and then all of a sudden, you know, getting an opportunity, um, playing arena football, then going over to play NFL Europe. And the next thing you know, in the preseason, the starting quarterback, Trent Green, gets hurt. And then you're a nobody, but you have the confidence of a coaching staff. 
and next thing you know, you're winning a Super Bowl. So what are some of the things when you think of these incredible stories that stand out for you? I mean, there's a lot of them. Most of them have had movies about them because they're just so impressive. I mean, I, that Kurt Warner one always rings a bell, and I think that's one of the reasons we talked about this show after we saw after I saw that uh, movie, just that statistic on what it takes before you even, if you have all the stuff laid out for you. Yeah. You know, the 1% of people that are in high school that get to go to college, and that's D3, D2, D1. And then 0.001% of those go to D1. And then of those only 1% of those get drafted. And then of those, only 1% of those. I mean, you're getting to a pretty unusually small number. Yeah. And that's if you have, you know, you're brought up with, you know, a good football team around you. You've got all this stuff with you. And then take that down a notch further. If you come from a place like, you know, Kurt Warner, what was it, D2, uh, and, you know, an unnamed school that no one ever drafts. Uh, and, you know, it, that's amazing. Or you come from a situation where you have severe poverty, you have no opportunities to play certain sports because it's not in your in the way it works. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're so athletic, you're able to get to that next level and persevere, persevere through so many obstacles. Uh, and it, unfortunately, you know, I can't even think of a, a specific one because there's so many of them. Um, and we, we're going to probably talk about them in a bit. But, you know, there is the these stories are amazing, or the ones that recover from injury. I mean, those are stories are just as crazy to me. You know, the Alex Smith one, I mean, that is, that's insane. Uh, or, you know, remember Drew Brees when he had a major rotator cuff tear. I mean, that should be, a, that's an, a career ending injury. Meanwhile, he went on to do pretty well. So Yeah, I know, mean, the, the Chargers let him go because of it, right? I mean, they thought he was done. They they let him go and he goes off to New Orleans and they draft Phillip Rivers. And I mean, they both had good careers, but, you know, alluding to that injury, I mean, they didn't think that he was going to recover from that. Um, and just real quick, for those that don't know, uh, the injury that happened to Alex Smith, um, just describe that a little bit, just so, you know, our listeners that may not be sports fanatics can really yeah. kind of understand the severity of that injury and the fact that he was able to get back on a football field. So I think what people don't understand is that the initial injury is not the part I'm talking about, you know, it's bad. So he basically had a, you have your tibia, your long bone below your kneecap and it broke in half. And that's happened before to players. And you put a rod in that. And usually people do fine. And a lot of times people can get back. Cause again, the nice thing is if you break that area, there's no joint between it, right? So you're not damaging the joint itself, which is always worse than damaging the long bone itself. The problem is that he got infected. And so as a result, he had to have multiple, multiple surgeries to get that infection over with because it was an open fracture, which is a much different animal when, you know, I don't want to get too gross with the viewers, but you know those movies where you see the bones sticking out? Yeah. Uh, that's what happened to him. And so as a result, once I got infected, that is a whole nother animal. And uh, as a result... You know, he had so many surgeries, he had to have frames put on him. You know, I don't even know how many he had. I thought it was like, <clears throat> excuse me, I thought it was like probably like, what, 12 or 14 surgeries. So if not more than that, you probably have to correct me if I'm wrong. But, you know, that's that's not a normal amount uh, for anybody, especially for one leg. And the fact he's able to get back to playing, you know, usually he's, he's, he's happy, he's lucky he kept his leg, and then he's able to play back in the NFL. Yeah. I, I remember the, the game that he came back um, – when he came back to play Washington. In fact, they were playing the Rams at the time. And uh, I had the game on, and um, the quarterback, the starting quarterback got hurt, and he was the backup. He hadn't played yet after the injury, so he finally gets back on the team. 
comes out and I look at my wife and I was like, oh God, please just let this man just get through. And he's out there and they show his wife and his kids in the stand, right? The stands are kind of half empty. You know, Washington's not, you know, not a very good team that year, uh, you know, a few years ago. And then sure enough, the sack leader, the most destructive force in the NFL, Aaron Donald comes up and sacks him and jumps on top of him. And he's pretty much carrying him on top and then falls over. I said, oh, my God. And sure enough, he gets up. And I told my wife, I was like, this is absolutely amazing. And she was like, I would kill you. There's no way in the world I would let you back on the field after what that man endured and what that family endured. So I just started laughing. But it was just one of those things. And, and we go back to these these people are just they're different. <laughs> that's the best. Yeah. I don't know how else to say it. They're just, there's just different with that mindset, you know, whether it's a Tiger Woods, right? That a year ago, they talked about maybe him losing his leg and, you know, then he goes and plays in the Masters. Adrian Peterson blew out both his ACLs. Uh, Frank Gore, one of the longest active running backs, had blown out both ACLs, I, I believe, the last game in Miami before he came to the, the pros. Clay Thompson. ACL, Achilles, what what kind of mindset do you have to have for you to have these catastrophic injuries and then put yourself right back in the arena again? You have to be different. You have to have an insatiable appetite to do what you do and love what you do. You know, I think that we all see and you hear that, you know, you hear the constant coach saying, oh, you worked really hard. You know, you got back. Well, that doesn't mean anything. You know, a lot of us get injured and I have a lot of patients that have had ACL surgery by myself and other people around the, the area and they work really hard to get back. You know, they do their rehab, you know, on their own and then at home, et cetera. But it's different than trying to get back to the pros. I mean, these guys are working out like six, seven hours a day. You know, it's not comfortable in that level and they're trying to get back any edge they can and you know blood sweat and tears to get back with the idea that they're you know they in their minds they're thinking they're going to but there's not always that's not always the case or you could be like odell beckham jr right that tore his acl yep made it back and then tore it again you know it's it's and they got to go back out there with the idea that like i'm not going to tear this again but there's a there is a chance and it's the same acl again right yep same acl um so you know that you have to, and then you have to, and then I think the ones that are even more impressive are the ones that had multiple injuries. You know, the ones you don't even talk about are like Tom Brady, right? He's had multiple surgeries, always in the off season, somehow comes back stronger. Yeah. So it's just insane. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's the um, impressive, you know, as someone who does those surgeries on a regular basis to see someone like that, that continually can do that and come back and be motivated. I mean, obviously there is financial gain to come back and being in professional athletics, Yeah. but you know, Guys like Tom Brady, I mean, he doesn't have to worry about that, right? He didn't. He just got offered some insane contract to be a Fox Sports broadcaster, and he still decides to come back and play football. So, yeah. you know, these, it's not just about the money for them. And, and it's about the pride and the desire and the love for the game. And there's a reason when you see these guys come back, there's a reason you see how they got there in the first place, right? And most of the time, most of us don't even know about their injuries because a lot of times they got injured way before that, right? In high school and college when people aren't paying attention to them. And the pros, obviously, we're watching them, and there's updates on ESPN about injury updates. But, you know, in high school, someone gets surgery by someone locally, you know, and no one knows about it, and they get back on the field. Obviously, when they get drafted, we look at all that stuff. We've talked about that before. Um, but, you know, like a lot of these players, they have a laundry list of surgeries and laundry list of things they've had done to them. 
So, you know, it, it, it's it's amazing what level of perseverance these uh, athletes can go through to get back to the next level. It, it is amazing. And, and I think I want to highlight also the fact that, you know, when we tend to think of athletes, we think of your bigger, faster, stronger, jump higher than anyone else. But the reality is, yes, if you can do those things, you have a distinct advantage. But then you have other, you know, elite athletes that make it that don't have all those traits. You know, the UFC champion, Charles Oliveira, right? You know, he is from the ghetto. He's from the town yeah. called Favela. You know, he was diagnosed, and I want I want you to explain this, with bone rheumatism that attacked his ankles and heart murmur at the age of seven. What is that? Well, if I remember correctly, I think it's uh, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Yep. Um, and, and that's not a good diagnosis to start with. So, you know, you do have, you can get early arthritic changes of your ankles, which is never good at seven. You can have issues with your eyes and other issues that like, you know, most people just try to live their daily lives at 30 or 40 years old, let alone try to go back to being a professional athlete. So, I mean, and you're, and probably deals with chronic pain on a daily basis. And, And that's the fact is like, I can't imagine being a professional athlete alone with no pain, let alone, okay, it hurts. I'm going back out there and I'm doing my thing. I mean, it's just amazing. The idea of pain is so different for every person. You know, you could have one person where you have the exact same surgery, exact same response, literally perfect result, and they say they have two or three out of ten pain. And you see another person, exact same surgery, exact same result, best they've ever felt in their whole lives. So it's just we don't understand pain, and we we like to make sure we can figure it out, but it's not the answer all the time. And some people can persevere amazing amounts more than others. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And think about it. You know, he's in a sport where he punches and kicks people for a living. You know, it makes martial artists as, as the champion of the world uh, right there. And then, you know, you've got guys like Victor Cruz, right? Didn't do great in school, went to University of Massachusetts. I, I believe he was sent home twice because of his grades, goes undrafted finds a way to make the team uh, for the Giants or tries out for the uh, the team, if I'm correct, doesn't make it, comes back the next year, makes the team, eventually wins the Super Bowl champion. We hear about Michael Orr, you know, from the Blind Side movie for you movie fans out there. He oh, yeah. adopted and, you know, eventually won a uh, Super Bowl. And then, you know, you get into other athletes like a Lindsey Vaughn, right? You know, that's had multiple, multiple injuries for you Olympic fans broken arm, bones, torn knee ligaments. I mean, it is the the mental aspect of everything that these athletes do to get where they want to go. That is something that's just amazing to me. Is there something in your field, right? And I know you guys work a lot of hours and there's a lot of pressure and all different levels of clients. You travel the world for training. What is something that really stands out for you when it comes to your profession? Well, you know, I mean, again, I don't want to compare myself to a uh, professional athlete, but, you know, the uh, what it takes in my field, especially when you do sports, is it's a different, you have to have a mindset, the right mindset. First off, um, you have to do the training. So, you know, you got to find a way to make it into college uh, and do well there and then you know, those people in college, you have so many friends that were unfortunately not able to go to the med school level because they just it, it requires a pretty big cutoff. And then the med school level, they're always pushing you. And, you know, there's certain specialties that 
are more desirable than others. And obviously I wanted to go to one that ended up being really challenging. So I was fortunate enough to get into orthopedics. And then when you go to orthopedics, you're like, okay, great. Now I want to go to, I want to get into orthopedics and you want to go to the place, you know, the one that accepts eight out of 1000 people. And these aren't like, you know, these aren't your like off the street friends and family you've met, you know, all these people have been studying for the same thing. And then of that, you got to, on those people, then you're competing with all those people that are uh, already in that sort of 0.08% for the next fellowship because you really want to get into the place that takes care of all the professional teams. And then you got to get a job. And then all that stuff you train for, you got to try to be more normal. So patients will be, okay, I like this guy. You know, this guy seems like a good guy. You know, your your impression of you is good and you have to do a good job. You know, you can do all the training in the world, but if if you don't do a good job of what you do and you can't handle the pressure, and you can't handle the conversations with patients, uh, they're not going to have surgery with you because I, I, they don't trust you. You know, you got to have established trust that you know what you're doing. You had the good training, but then you got to be able to capitalize on it. You know, I think we've talked about this before, but there's not all doctors are created equal in terms of the personalities. Yeah. And I remember as a young kid going to certain doctors and I would never have gone to them now. Uh, you know, I, I just didn't feel comfortable in that situation. They're all well-trained. They're great people. Um, but, you know, there's, it, takes, it takes a certain aspect. And then, the pressure cooker, right? You know, I remember a couple of days ago, I had a pretty high level baseball player. And the first thing the parents said to me, you know, dad's dad's standing next to the door. Mom's staying next to the door. Kids on the kids sort of upset because they just tore their Tommy John ligament. And all they, all they want to know is if, when I can get it back as soon as possible. Wow. Not even, you know, and, and it's, it happens all the time, you know, and it's not, it's not their fault. They're really dedicated. They put a lot of money and time into the baseball. Yeah. Um, but it's a big deal. And you've got to sit down there calmly and you say, Hey, listen, you know, I, a lot of times, at least in my practice, some of my partners, they'll send me the higher level athletes just cause they don't, it's, it's a lot of work to deal with the parents. Um, and it's not an, it's not a wrong thing. It's just that, you know, when you get to that level, everybody's invested, right? Yeah. Cause you're a parent, I'm a parent. If my kid's spending hours at the pool or hours playing baseball and they get hurt, I sure as heck want to be right there with the surgeon. What are we going to do? How are we going to make this better? You know, not just for me, but for the kid too. And, uh, it's hard. And so you're, and that's even at the high school level, you know, uh, the people that you may not even make it to college and then you get the college player and they're like, Hey, coach wants to talk to you, you know, all those other things. So it's not just the actual, you know, the surgery portion of it. I hate to say it is actually more of the easy part. It's the other stuff, managing expectations. We've talked about this before. Yeah. Every athlete you see, you have to manage expectations. You have to manage expectations in your surgeries. You cannot go in there and tell every single patient that you do surgery on that they're going to be perfect because that is not true. No matter how good you are. I worked with a lot of good surgeons. It is not the case. Okay. A lot of people do well. That's why we do sports surgery. That's why we do orthopedics because it's a very fulfilling option, but you got to be ready to take care of the hard stuff too. And if you can't, it's the same thing as an athlete. If you can't handle the pressure, then that's when the problems go awry or that's when patients are upset because something happens and they can't, their doctor's not taking on their onus or the responsibility of the challenge. You know, it's super easy. And I tell patients this all the time. It's super easy if every single one of my patients in the office did amazing. If I had a hundred percent success rate, being a surgeon would be way too easy yeah. to be fairly honest with you. It's the hard part is that 5% or 10%, you know, or the kid that you did a mate, you did a perfect ACL on and re tears it. How do you deal with that? And that's the same thing with athletes. How do you deal with that tear of your own ACL and getting back to next level when all the odds are against you? Or in my case, I'm the one that did the surgery. So I feel responsible. Even if there was nothing I did wrong, I did the exact same surgery for the last kid. Yeah. 
you talk about amongst everything is also having that connection and having that personality and, and making your uh, patients feel comfortable, which is a, a big part of it, right? And I'm pretty sure everyone out there that has their job, there's a part of their job that they do that is not, you know, quote unquote, part of the requirement, but in reality, it is part of your requirement in order for you to do your job. So I just want to throw that out there. I want to go back to the, you know, some of your experiences with this, that you were talking about with these student athletes, right? And the expectations from the parents and, you know, everything that goes with that. And I had a chance to catch up with head football coach from Rainier Beach High School. Uh, he was in the state championship uh, a few years ago. His name is Corey Sampson. He had the number one offensive lineman in the country this year, uh, Josh Connerly, that just committed to the University of Oregon. And I asked him, I said, how difficult is it for a student athlete to realize that there's more out there than just a D1 scholarship when so many of these kids and their parents are really just focused on that? You know, I try to be realistic with a kid, either height or weight or size, or, or, or even with the parents to tell them, but you know, um, it's it, it, it's tough pill to swallow. You know, it's a tough pill to swallow because the kid, his whole life, he's dreaming of going playing Division One or going to the NFL, and he gets to that threshold, and someone tells him, or Hey, you're too small, you're too slow, you don't weigh enough. I mean, it's it's difficult. I mean, kids. I mean, I had kids say, Hey, it's either D one or bust, and they don't even want to go to college. Like, don't that? I mean, the opportunity to go D one, D two, D three, or whatever it is, man, it's a blessing to even have opportunity to go to college for partial full or whatever it is i mean take advantage of that but a lot of these kids are too too caught up in the twitter seeing people with these offers like that's not a real a real world for everybody um keep a strong head a strong mind um and just and just hold on to your dreams i mean everybody has a different road a different path to get to where they want to get to but at the end of the day like you don't have to take the straight d1 role or or a straight scholarship to oklahoma sc or school like that there's other ways you can get to that way that to be successful, I mean, the final success doesn't mean being a D1 player, you know, just keep on grinding and working hard and get out the community, get opportunity to go to college. I'd like to thank Coach Sampson for taking time out to talk with me. Uh, Dr. Garcia, what are your thoughts on what he had to say? So as you heard, it's more than just about the D1 scholarship. There's so few people that are going to get that. But what I think people need to understand is that athletics gives you a lot more. Yeah. You know, you get you get the camaraderie. You get the teamwork, you get the life experiences, you get the relatability that you don't think about when you're a kid. But when you're an adult, you know, like, what did you sport you play? What sport did you play? You know, and you talk about it with people. It brings you ability to connect with people. It, it, it allows you to appreciate professional games when you're not playing sports anymore. And it can open doors, even if you don't actually use it as a, as a D1 athlete scholarship. I mean, you have no idea. People, these athletes don't realize it, that, you know, I'm, I swam, I wasn't a football player, yeah. but that for me with interviews in med school and residency was a big help. I mean, people were like, tell me about your swimming. Tell me about being captain swim team. Tell me about this stuff. You know, and that was just swimming. I mean, I love swimming, no offense to swimming, but it's not football, right? It doesn't have the same glitter, the same glamor, except for that for every four years when like Michael Phelps used to swim. So the fact is, it opened doors for you no matter what. And I try to tell patients that, but it's just hard for them. It's hard for them to process that stuff because they're 16, 18, and all they care about is playing sports. And they get all their friends from football or they get all their friends from basketball or baseball or they, or they, or they really want to go pro or they really want to get drafted because that's all they've been focused on. And so I think it's good to have the well-balanced athlete. And I think that we, we still need to continue to emphasize that. And it's hard in my office just with my limited time. Um, but you can always tell there's those kids that are, 
it's almost funny because some of the kids that are really good, the really, really good athletes, those are the ones that aren't as stressed. The ones that are the sort of mediocre athletes that yeah. get hurt, yeah. those are the ones that freak out. And uh, that part is interesting because I feel like the ones that have got it all going for them are all set up. You know, they got the academics and they have they have a backup plan, which I think everybody needs. I think it's a lot less stressful. And then you do better in the surgery. I mean, patients that go in less stressed, lower sort of depressive symptoms uh, do better. And uh, I think even if you don't get the D1 scholarship, there are D3 athletes that get drafted. I mean, if you just keep playing the way you're playing, you stay focused on your other stuff. You know, finish college if you're not going to jump straight to pro uh, is important. And you could do a lot with that. I mean, I know of multiple people that have worked in companies before. And every time the person gets introduced, they're like, hey, this is so-and-so. They played they played college ball. And everyone's like, oh, great. And that, like, gets you in. So you just, just because you're not the number one guy in the country or you're not getting drafted does not mean it's not going to give you a leg up. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, some of the stuff that the coach was alluding to also is the fact that just getting away and giving yourself a chance to grow and going to a college, whether it's a D1, D2, D3, or, you know, community college, whatever. It's just you're taking your life to another level that's important for you to grow. And I think that's so important for, you know, everyone, whether you're a coach, a parent, a friend, a family member to say, okay, this may not have worked out the way you wanted to, but there's more, there's more there. This is not the end because we've seen it at different levels. Success stories, you know, I'm, I'm going to allude to uh, Felipe Lopez, you know, they did a 30 for 30 for him. I, you know, I lived in New York. I remember when Felipe Lopez was all the rage. He was on every news. He was in the paper. He was on the cover Sports Illustrated when he announced that he was staying home and going to St. John's. He won uh, the school's first Catholic uh, championship, which was at Wright's High School. And all of a sudden, they deemed him as the next big thing. College uh, career wasn't good. And he finally got into the NBA, and he was only there a couple years. He had an injury. And then kind of, you know, told around and went to Europe and things like that. And his mom was interviewed, right? And they said he had an opportunity while the, the fire was hot that he could have left after his freshman year and maybe he would have got selected higher in the draft. And she said, no, our dream as a family coming from the Dominican Republic poor, right? The mom and dad and the family came over first to New York and then they brought Felipe with them. Our dream was for him to get a college education, not to play in the NBA, to be the first to get a college education, to do something that nobody else had done. And that's why he stayed the four years. Fast forward, he's done remarkable things in the Dominican Republic. He feeds uh, families in the neighborhood. He has a complex where he helps train kids. So success is defined by you, not by what others deem is successful. Because a lot of people said that Felipe Lopez was not a success. And the reality is he was a success, an extreme success, especially to his parents and his family and his community. Anyway, as I ramble on, what is something that if you had to share with your listeners, you want to share with them? I think I would share this, um, especially for the athletes, but kind of anybody, you know, what it takes to get to what you want to do. You will be, there will be roadblocks and you don't know what they're going to be. It could be something academic. It could be something athletic. It could be something your family. It could be an injury. You know, there are going to be roadblocks. 
And really it's how you deal with those roadblocks and making sure you do the research, get the right information to take care of that. You know, finding the right person to take care of your injury, who feels good about this, finding the right person counselor to take care of the academic side. Whatever it is that you're missing is a piece of you and is not going in the direction you want it to, find a way to correct that uh, with whatever it takes. And I guess whatever, what is it, what does it take versus whatever it takes? I think the people that separate themselves do whatever it takes, obviously within the realm of things to get to that next level. And Mm -hmm. if you're willing to do that, a lot of times you could be successful. And again, as you mentioned before, and I, as I see all the time in all my my patients, success is measured in so many different ways. And really it's about how you impact the people around you. And in the end, the people that remember you the most are your family. So if you do those things right, um, that's the most important. But again, just making sure that you stay on the course, that's the hardest thing. I mean, staying on track for any specialty and my job or being an athlete or anything, you know, that's the most important thing is stay on track, stay focused and do what you love. Cause if you don't love it, there's no point in doing it. That's Grant Garcia, orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist. Check him out at grantgarciamd.com. Dr. Garcia, it was uh, great to catch up with you. Uh, I know you were going to be traveling, so I wish you and the family the very best. And I can't wait till we speak again. Thanks, Will. Always good talking to you. Take care. Take care.